We love recording FFR and bringing you our fresh feminist perspectives on pop culture each week. Please help to keep this little morsel of joy in our lives by going to patreon.com slash femfreak and joining our podcast community. Women should be everywhere, like amongst and amidst the society and in which like, this like takes in, place. Like normally, like in life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? Oh, right. <laughs> but this is Star Wars. How dare you interject life into Star Wars? <laughs> Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love. I'm Anita Sarkeesian, and I'm joined today by someone who is far too critical of the baby Yoda that we all love, and because she's too critical of the media we love, she might have to get banished. That would be Carolyn Pettit. You know, if that is the price that I must pay for, I will I will die on this hill. No, I'm, I mean, I, well, we might talk I, about it. I don't actually hate baby Yoda that much. I, yeah, I, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. But yes, I, I just love that we give you shit for being critical. Yes, me too. <laughs> me too. Uh, we are also joined by a very special guest, our friend and songwriter, Jonathan Mann. This is Hi. the way. <laughs> this is the way. All right, this week we are revisiting The Mandalorian. Of course, back in November on episode 105, we were joined by Jessica Zolman to talk about the first three episodes of the show, but we wanted to revisit it now that the entire first season is complete. So we're going to do that. Baby Yoda, baby, baby Yoda, baby Yoda, baby, baby Yoda. Friends, uh, we're so excited to have Jonathan Mann on this episode. He's been writing a song a day for over 11 fucking years. <laughs> what? That's over 4,000 songs. And he joins us today for our conversation about season one of The Mandalorian. And our guest today has an interesting connection with the show. Jonathan, your song, number 39774, is an ode to Baby Yoda and currently has nearly 4.9 million views on YouTube. Which, by the way, is a song that you just heard. So, dude, <laughs> what's this been like? <laughs> it's uh, It's been wild. You know, uh, like back in the day of Song A Day, back in the early days, I used to have a song go viral maybe like once or twice a year. And, and for a while now, I've been thinking like, well, I guess like songs just aren't going to go viral in the same way. Like the internet has changed and it's like it's just not the same anymore. And it seems like every time I really like have that thought in a in, in like a real way, something blows up. Um, and that and that's like literally what happened with this one. And this and, and, is and this is by far the most views I've ever gotten on a song ever. And like so, but speaking of how the internet has changed, which you know you're not wrong about that. Like, um, I mean. It, it seems from you know me following you on Twitter and stuff like maybe TikTok has played a pretty big role in the in the way that this, this song has gone viral. This is true. TikTok is entirely responsible for the blow up of the song. In fact, TikTok is gonna. I, I mean, I'll talk about it more in the freakout because that was gonna be my freakout is TikTok because I really I want to go deep with you guys on TikTok because it's really interesting <laughs> yeah so um, so, so but yeah but like young people i mean you know it's um, kids it's it's like yeah, it's like, like literal like, literal children like like we're talking like seven eight nine years old mm-hmm. on tiktok and they you know when they get their hooks into a song that they really like 
they just listen to it over and over and over and over and over again. I mean, like I search, I, I, I'm not, maybe, I, maybe I'm <laughs> revealing something about myself, but like if you search Twitter for, if you put it in quotes, baby Yoda, baby, baby Yoda, which mm-hmm. is like the lyric from the song, mm-hmm. literally people are tweeting that like every hour on mm-hmm. Twitter, uh, just tweet, tweeting lyrics from the, from the thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a confluence of things, right? It's like kids on TikTok love it. The song happens to be, and this is definitely not true of all of my songs, but it happens to be like a pretty good song. And then, <laughs> you know, and then it's also about Baby Yoda. Like, you know, it's yeah. about this this cultural moment right. of this thing. Um, so, Which a lot of your songs are influenced yes. by contemporary events. Very much. And, and so, you know, and, 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 that, and there's no like... There's, I just do that when I'm when I'm particularly moved by something, right? And and um, you know, Cara, I was listening to your your take on the last episode, and I totally get where you're coming from with like this the yeah. sort of the the corporate, you know. So and it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, let me say real quickly about that. Sure. Before, um, you know, like, my issue with Baby Yoda is not at all, like, kids loving Baby Yoda and getting excited right. by Baby Yoda right, and the right. kind of influx Or adults. Of, oh, right. No, so my <laughs> issue really, it's it's actually not even so much about Baby Yoda at all. Like, I think what my issue with Baby Yoda is, is when I see so many sites and things, like, I see, um, I feel like, like, fan... Fan, I feel like so much coverage we get of so yeah. much pop culture stuff now is totally rooted in fandom and not at all rooted in in like criticism. And I think there's a difference between being a fan and being a critic. And so when I see like every site, like Polygon and like whatever, all these sites trying to just be like, Baby Yoda is the most adorbs thing ever. And like, you know, to have like even one person say, hey, well, let's stop and talk about how Baby Yoda is this like des- thing that's like designed in a laboratory to evoke these feelings. Yeah. Like, like that's, you know, it's it's like people, it's like you, I mean, you obviously people can say that and they do say that, but that kind of criticism is so, it's like the whole market doesn't even <laughs> want like it anymore. And, I, and make, I think that- Doesn't the, make room so, for it. Yeah. yeah, so I think that there is a, a deeper problem in the way that so many of our media sites and our sites that are designed to cover television and film now do so not at all from a critical perspective and almost entirely from a fan perspective. I think that's a problem. And for me, Baby Yoda just kind of like, just puts that in my face so much that I can't ignore <laughs> it. And that's where my my ambivalence around Baby Yoda comes from. Like, like oh. within the context of the show yeah. and, you know, and like the adoration from from young people and everything, I think it's yeah. great. Like, I don't have a problem with that I wanna, at all. I want to add this though, Kara, is yeah. that I think that what you're getting at is um, oh, what am I trying to say here? I think that the criticism of Baby Yoda is rooted in capitalism, right? It is manufactured yes. in a capitalist environment to elicit the exact emotion that we're all yes. feeling. Yes, And so yes. it feels a little like dystopian future, like everyone is going to feel this way right. and Absolutely. we're going to like dupe you all into whatever. But I think what you're getting at too here is uh, a little bit of we are critici- are historically our criticisms and our sites that have provided criticisms and the writings that have provided these kinds of critical takes on media weren't really criticizing capitalism they might have been more critical about the actual like content of films or movies or tv or tv shows um but that now that there is a bigger space to talk about capitalism openly in america at least mm-hmm. that I think you now want to see more of that, even though it didn't yes. really exist before. 
Right. But I mean, yes and no. I mean, because when I, you know, um, uh, I wrote a piece recently on Medium that did fairly well where I, you know, I cited like uh, an old time, you know, a critic from The New Yorker, Pauline Kael, who kind of was this old guard critic who very much had her distinctive opinions. And I just feel like I, I feel like so much. Like there's a there is a larger issue too, but in terms of how we engage with certainly video games, movies, television, etc., where like a particular kind of deeply subjective, deeply personal criticism is is increasingly like frowned upon and and ostracized in favor of like you know you know that comic that that meme comic of like shh let people enjoy things <laughs> yeah right like and how that's been weaponized like like you can't like there's there's really so much pressure to just kind of fall in line and like the things that, that everyone else likes. And, you know, and, and I, I just I, bristle at that. And I object I, to that fundamentally, even yeah. when I like the things that everyone else likes, like I, I, I bristle at the, the, the lack of like, um, more like more, you know, I want more people out there saying I don't like thing just because I think it's good to have a diversity of perspectives, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I would say too, that there's like a, there's just a, a basic internet thing of consolidation and, you know, social media taking over things and blogs dying all the time. Yeah. Um, And and just a push to consensus and right. You know, all of those things that I think are not healthy in a, in a larger sense. I would say, like, also, I just want to <laughs> say on on that take of, like, you know, struggling with with loving corporate stuff, you know, is like is something that I think about a lot because, you know, it's it is manufactured and it does elicit the response that they mean for it to and and this is and so you know when i'm writing a song about baby yoda i am i am consciously at that moment like thinking to myself man this is really kind of dark in a way um and like i think of it as analogous to like my love of apple and this is really stupid but like i'm a total apple fanboy and mm-hmm. i can at once be like a total lefty like abolish you know ice and there should be no borders and you know private property is theft and at the same time like idolize apple and like drool over their products and like i don't know how those things exist at the same time within me but like that's where my baby yoda love is for me too it's like i love baby yoda with all of every fiber of my being and i think disney is like the most evil corporation and should be (laughs) and should be wiped from the face of the earth you know like i think that there's something around entertainment about mainstream entertainment that is very different than like hating a bank, right? That's hating like other kinds of, of institutions that are very rooted in our capitalist system where in entertainment we are, it's that, it's that mix of, or it's that intersection of art and business. Yeah. And the thing is that like art is very meaningful to us as human beings, whether it is attached to business or not. And the fact that we have these large scale, massive stories that we connect with and these characters that we connect with that's also rooted in a capitalist machine makes that really complicated. And I I think it's, it's not, it will never be easy for us to work to separate those things. And I think it reminds me a lot of when I was like a young activist and the communities that I was a part of, like hated TV, hated movies, Mm. had nothing to do with any of it. And I was like, you're missing out on like 
the one the the joy and the connection that stories bring us right. um but also you're missing out on what everyone in the fucking world is engaging with <laughs> right, <laughs> right? Right, right like you're you're you're, 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 you're totally levels. cut off from like from the yeah. rest of the from so, everyone else it's not I think it's really and that's why I think that there's been such a explosion of criticism of like progressive criticism of the mainstream media because um we find so much value and meaning in seeing ourselves represented, seeing these stories, seeing these people that we connect with and identify with. Um, but it's all created through machinery, like yeah. through corporate machinery. And that's really hard to to remedy. So but great. but having said all of that, I want to say that, that <laughs> Jonathan, I couldn't be more thrilled for like the success of the song. Oh, thank you. And yeah. you know, I think it really is a great song, and it really is like heartwarming and sweet and wonderful to see the ways that young people, you know, t- you know, because I've seen some of like the TikToks and stuff, kind of take it and and you know, do, like create do you know create new things with it, right? Their That's own what's little amazing little, about TikTok. Three hundred thousand yeah. li- kids like making their own little yeah. music videos for that song. Like it's crazy. Fantastic. Yeah. Yes. Well, why don't we actually get into the main segment of the week? Um, we talked about The Mandalorian back in November, and the last episode that had aired was episode three, The Sin, in which our mysterious hero <laughs> mysterious hero, goes all John Wick and daringly rescues the child from the clutches of the Imperial warlord who he delivered to in the first place. Yeah, it was a whole thing. Anyways, a lot has happened since then. We were all surprised to learn that some women do actually <laughs> exist in the Star Wars universe. Not a lot, but some. Uh, so we wanted to revisit the show and talk about the season as a whole and where we landed when it when it all um, when it all finished. So, yeah, the, I was I was uh, I may have talked about this with The Witcher because I had the very similar feelings to The Mandalorian and The Witcher as I was watching them where I was like, I don't really like this, but it's appealing. Like, mm. I can't really stop. Like, yes, I have to watch it for work, but also I don't really want to stop watching it. Like, I'm <laughs> I'm curious and engaged, and they're, like, well enough, you know, they're done well Crafted, enough, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And then I get to the end of both of them, and I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, I'm super invested by the time it ends. And they are both shows where I, like... I think about them or they randomly pop in my brain occasionally. Mm. So clearly the show like got its hooks into me, even though I have enormous criticisms of it, even going past the the third episode. Yeah. I mean, something that I think is really interesting just structurally about, about the Mandalorian and I have mixed feelings about it myself, but is the way that it's, it's, it's kind of this interesting I mean, none of the episodes are what I would call entirely, quote unquote, self-contained, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the way that some old mm. TV shows were. But yet they very much have these like encapsulated storylines and not even just storylines, but like like in a way references to sort of entire like an, uh, genres or or motifs of storytelling. Right. So, for instance, like episode four, Sanctuary is totally like it's the Seven Samurai episode. Like it's right. uh, we 100%. all know this st- we all know this story of like warriors teaching the kind of salt, quote unquote, salt of the earth people to like fight back against, you know, some uh, some oppressive threat. And then like episode six is so much like it's like that. It's interesting. It's like a, the, the sci-fi horror movie episode, right? Where you have, I mean, only only the Mandalorian is the like stalking killer threat, in, as right. opposed to right. uh, you know, as opposed to it, it, it being an alien and like we're 
you know, we're, our, our loyalties are kind of flipped, but it very much puts, you know, it's all the close cramped corridors and like the kind of moody lighting. And, right. And so, I had, you know, I had sort of yeah. pegged that one more as like a prison break one, but that actually is a much better, I mean, that's a much I mean, well, better, but yeah, has I both mean, of those, but that's a much better uh, sort of comp is, is of a, is of a sort of like space horror kind of thing. And, that's, that's true. And like personally, like, so yeah. for me, like episodes seven and eight, where the storyline kind of yeah. pr- comes back to, you know, where we were earlier and it's like, okay, the, 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 the team gets back together and the stakes start building up in terms of like, what's really going on with, you know, baby Yoda and, you know, and, and all that stuff back on Navarro. Like I, I personally got more invested and engaged at that point when the, it got back to that as a, you know, as opposed to what sort of felt like these one-off like side story yeah, episodes. I think that that is a question, uh, uh, brings up, a, um, some context in contemporary, the contemporary way that we, we engage with media. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, the yeah. Mandalorian is week to week, right? Where most of our media, we get all the episodes mm-hmm. in one go and we get to binge them how we want. Um, but we know that it's only eight episodes from the beginning. It's not a 24 season you know, arc or whatever. And so you know, I think that the fact that there are these standalone episodes are a little bit like, just, we just, can you just fucking get to it? Like, this is kind of filler. It was definitely surprising. It was like surprising to see such, such self-contained things in a modern show. Cause that's just not, it's not how people do it anymore. It's, it's, it's very old school in a way. Yeah. There's something about it. And, and I feel like the production values and the writing and all, everything tap into this is that even though it's a Star Wars show and it's, you know, quote unquote, big budget, it does have a little bit to me of that like B tier, mm-hmm. you know, purposefully kind of episodic TV vibe. And yeah, probably, you know, I'm sure to some That's, extent, purposefully. I, 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 I mean, I got the sense that it was like leaning into that. Like I got the yeah. sense that, that a lot of that kind of like <coughs> ragtag yeah, kind yeah. of vibe is, yeah. is, is what they were going for. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So I, you know, in tar- in terms of that larger structure, you know, I, I <laughs> so may- maybe we can get into some of the episodes specifically mm-hmm. here. I overall, like, you know, I critiqued very heavily the lack of female characters in the first three episodes, as should have been done. Yes. I stand absolutely. by it. No, it's <laughs> 100%. Totally even though I'm still getting tweets I'm from sure. the, of course. yeah, they're still mad at me about this. But here's the thing. It didn't get great. Like it wasn't it wasn't like people were like just wait it's coming it's coming Cara Dune it's coming. Cara Dune was in 3 episodes. Mm-hmm. Like let's be honest, she was in 3 of 8 episodes. Yeah. That's not even half. Um and the the other thing you have is so spoilers. Um episode 5 which is um you know the the young bounty hunter coming and he's helping him out, which was not a good episode. That was my um, le- that was my least favorite episode, except for I'd Amy Sedaris, the, the who I loved. Except for who? Amy Sedaris, who I loved. Yeah. So Plain, you've yeah. got Ming Na Wen and Amy Sedaris who appear in this episode, who are both wonderful, and they were they were both great. Yeah. But Amy Sedaris is a glorified babysitter. Yeah. And that's true. um, and Fennec Shand, who's played by uh, Ming Na Wen, dies. So, like, (laughs) you got that happening, right? In episode four, all of a sudden you get tons of women because you have a village and, it, you know, we meet Cara Dune, you meet this other woman. And that, like, 
that is the exception in the whole series of like the amount of women that yeah. were allowed on screen at once. I got to say that that episode reminded me a lot of uh, of Xena and I was here for it. Like it wasn't necessarily a good episode. <laughs> not, not that any Xena episode was ever good. Um, and like it, the pacing was off and all of that. But I just it was so refreshing after the last three episodes to like see people working together to see camaraderie to see like you know women to see like to see yeah. an, a, a real environment in some ways um I, I i appreciated the timing of where that appeared yeah and you know so the, i mean the conversation around women in the mandalorian like the people who there are people out there who are like well you know I mean, well, Cara Dune is a, is a tough, you know, woman, like, what more do you want? Like, period, or whatever. And, and, and kind of weaponize these, these, like, little details to gloss over and to, to kind of, uh, you know, obfuscate the fact that, yes, but still, like, as a, as a universe, like, I don't know how to, how to make this succinct and clear, right? But as a universe, it is, a, it is still largely, right, a universe of men in which women play these smaller roles where as opposed to, you know, when we talk about like wanting women in on screen and in, and, you know, it's not just like wanting the, you know, the one like female character or whatever. We want to see like, you know, the background characters, like the crowds, like all of this, like yeah. women should be everywhere, like amongst and amidst the society and in which like, this like takes in, place. Like normally, like in life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, right. But this and, is and, Star Wars. How dare you interject life into yeah. Star Wars? <laughs> um, yeah, and, and from that lens, like just taken as a whole, like while acknowledging that it does, you know, it does get better than the, the, the abysmal, you know, first few episodes, like it still does not pass muster, you know, by that kind of uh, Certainly measure. doesn't come close to, to Bechdel uh, uh, passing. <laughs> it, uh, I, I don't know. It, it might. I, I don't think it does, but yeah. So, um, episode seven, that was the prisoner one? Mm, yes. Uh, episode no, no, eight, six sorry, six, sorry. Six, yeah. six was the prisoner. Um, my computer fell asleep right as uh, I was <laughs> making this comment. Um, episode six was the prisoner one. I hated that episode the most out of all of the episodes, Me like, too. aggressively. I was watching that and just raging the whole time. And part of it was, you know, Bill Burr is not a good dude. Um, and so him Was being Bill Burr, cast- like, the, the guy with the gun that came out of his back thing? Is that Bill Burr? Maybe, I don't I remember. Think he so. was like the main white guy that was like on, on in the crew on the, the okay. prison ship. Um, and then you also have so so this situation is a, a very much oh, a yeah. smurfette, right? Which which is a crew of entirely men with one woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and Feminist Frequency has made videos about this. Feel free to go watch them. <laughs> um, but the the female character of so. Sorry, I'm rambling. The it's bad enough that it's a Smurfette in this universe where women are not included. Um, but you also have the way that that character was written was excruciatingly painful to watch. Like, just she was such a she was a Harley Quinn ripoff. Like, she was right. such a stereotype of like hypersexualized but totally psychotic, like blood hungry, but like you know just oh god, and sexualized. It, it, it was yeah it was just it was very frustrating in, and, and in addition ta- to everything else it was tonks from from the harry potter movies too which was like come on mm-hmm. let's give let's give tonks something a little bit more interesting to do than, i know right and play Aww. this like really lame <laughs> yeah no that, that episode definitely did not it, it didn't it didn't it was it was the one that landed the least for me yeah um 
But so it all, the story all kind of comes together in seven and eight, right? Yeah. And like, how did you feel about the, the arc of the story? I, I, so, you know, I'll just say that like, I was, I loved this show. Um, maybe, maybe more than you, than you all did. Um, although, you know, when, when I saw you tweeting about it, of course, like I was a little embarrassed that I hadn't thought of that, you know, I wasn't watching it with that eye. And then I was like, oh yeah, that, that's kind of, that's pretty lame. Um, and then of course it's like, well, and it's like, you know, then I start to ask the question of like, well, why, why did they, why couldn't the Mandalorian just be a woman anyway? Um, that's a question that, that could, that should and could be asked. Like, there's no reason I don't think why that shouldn't have happened. But overall, I'll say all that aside, like from a, from like a Star Wars nerd from a young age kind of thing, I just love spending this kind of time in this world. And, um, you know, I, I just nerded out really hard on it and I, and I loved it pretty much top, top to bottom aside from, you know, a few of the episodes clunkily landing. Um, I'm really excited to see like what happens next though. That's, that's sort of the, if we want to talk about like where things ended in episode seven and eight and where it's going, that's, that's to me what really got me. Yeah, I feel like like there's some really interesting, you know, raising of the stakes uh, toward the end. I, I mean, I feel like um, I, I feel like what this show does best is that kind of the the kind of space western vibe. And so when it gets back into that rhythm, yeah, um, I, I think that that it often works. It often, you know, it fires on more cylinders often than when it's trying to do other things. And so, like the siege in the in the sort of town square, the building, like as much as I'm sort of like, there's a part of me that's like, uh, uh you know, I, I wish that that the uh, Star Wars show didn't love guns as much as the this show really loves guns toward the end. Like I, 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 I also sort of found it more effective and engaging than a lot of what had led up to it. Um, and, you know, and I mean, I think Giancarlo Esposito is, a, I mean, I'm always happy to see him in things. I think he, he could make for a very interesting villain figure. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little frustrated by, Okay, so so um, at the end, you know, it's revealed that his character Moff Gideon wields the dark saber, which is which, like a big deal, apparently. Which I didn't which know. Which for about. Star Wars nerds is like a big deal, and yeah. and and that to me, I'm I'm frustrated with because I because I'm now at this point where like and look, I grew up with Tolkien. I grew up loving Lord of the Rings and loving yeah. like oh objects, objects of power and things that have legacy and dynasty and everything. But the past few years have really, and the way that there's so much cultural conservatism around like stories that are all kind of inwardly focused and like where I think there's just so much potential for gatekeeping and stuff around like, yeah. well, the dark saber, if you don't know, you know, who wielded it originally and it's history for the Mandalorian people yeah. and like this and that. And it's like, I don't want to have to keep track of a million different sources of star Wars lore to understand like, or to be, or, you know, to understand what's happening here. So I'm trying to get the sort of depth of it. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm just frustrated with that kind of interconnected storytelling fundamentally at this point. Like I just, I just, you know, I, I, I'm not here for that. I'm here for like these characters and their stories. And I don't care about like the lore so much. Um, but, you know, but at the same time, like as far as, you know, I thought a lot of the stuff with IG 11 was, was interesting and good. I, I liked a lot of what happened in the, in the I final loved IG 11 becoming yeah. 
becoming a caretaker and and that whole that whole turn um yeah you know it it, it puts a different spin on droids in general just just how in like rise of skywalker um this idea that like all the stormtroopers are <laughs> are uh, brainwashed babies essentially and so killing them is morally a little you know much grayer than yeah. we thought um that I, I would say you know with same it, goes for for droids if, it, if they can all be reprogrammed it's, to it's so be- yeah but there's also this it's so interesting to me the ethical question that's raised where you know so ig11 tells the mandalorian um i am not a living thing or whatever yeah. so that yeah. he, so that he, and i'm like Okay, are droids re- in Star Wars really not alive? Are we really yeah. meant to think of them that yeah. way, or it, is, is, is IG Eleven strategically saying that so that so yeah. that the Mandalorian will let him save his life? Right. But like he has to kind of, I mean, I don't want to say dehumanize, but like deep, you know, person devalue himself in order to in order to do that. It's just this fascinating and kind of ethically like thorny moment um also in that moment i'm not sh- i'm not convinced you know like like i'm not convinced that ig11 actually had to die there because no it there didn't was, feel like that th- yeah but, there was there was, but he, there was like maybe like eight stormtroopers which yeah. i feel like they could have handled i don't know he, but he did have to die for um, mando's character development like yeah. that his his entire existence yes. is so right. that we can get backstory and see his growth and his humanity come through in this environment in which it's been stripped away, right? Like he really serves as a, as just a, yeah, I mean, as a, as yes, I just said what I said. Well, yes, <laughs> I mean, I think you know something that made me start appreciating the show a little more than I had before, or in a different way than I had before, was like a little Twitter thread by the critic Matt Zoller sites, um, you know, where when he was watching the show and he was like, oh, like it's really interesting, like the Mandalorian is 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 protecting baby Yoda because baby Yoda in a way represents like his own child self. Right. Oh, and, and, yeah, totally. and like, I, I mean like that's so obvious and it's obviously so true, but I just yeah. hadn't really thought about it in those oh, terms yeah. before. And like, oh, I'm yeah. like, Oh yeah. Like there is definitely something going on there. I you know, love and I think that, that I the, love the, that the flashback. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the flashbacks we get of to the Mandalorian's, childhood or you know in in the final few episodes kind of bring you know emphasize that uh quite a bit so so i'm with you on the lore thing like because because as much of a you know i grew up watching the films and i I watched all of the prequels in the theater and i watched Mm -hmm. all of the 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 new ones in the theater and i'm 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 really into star wars and i'm but i but I, i will say i i like haven't watched all of clone wars and i haven't watched all of rebels like i'm not like and I haven't read all the books. I'm not, you know, but, but I, but my perspective on the lore is like, as I watch these things and I see someone say like, oh, the dark saber is like a big deal. I kind of honestly, like my response to that is I kind of enjoy going and reading a Wikipedia article about me. Like, mm-hmm. oh, interesting. Oh, like, yeah. And, uh, and, yeah. And, and I'm like, and, and another aspect of that um, is like learning about the history between Jedi's and Mandalorians, sure. right? And like their yeah, yeah, rivalry yeah. and their and then how um that brings a new depth to their relationship yeah. obviously, Yoda, Baby Yoda and and Mando. And Yeah, yes. And then and, I'm like and then I'm like is Baby Yoda going to become a Mandalorian? Is like that is that is sort of is the Mandalorian of the show not actually Mando, but it's actually Baby Yoda is the Mandalorian uh, in the title of the show. Right. 
As someone who's not a hardcore Star Wars fan and has no idea what you're talking about with the lightsaber or the dark whatever the fuck the dark you're the about. dark saber Anita <laughs> the, the dark, dark saber, saber whatever yeah. um you know the thing is that a really good and this this definitely comes up with the rise of Skywalker um, yeah if like a good Star Wars or a good uh, piece of media from any huge franchise should stand alone. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, to some degree, right? And so, like, that didn't change. That didn't change the experience for me. Whether I like, sure, sure. right? Not no. It wasn't like there's this thing I don't know about it. It was just like, cool. You don't even sure. think about it, and you're still deeply engaged in the conflict, uh, which is great, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. And, and I agree that but I you, agree that the sh- yeah, I agree. But you that the get show- that opportunity, <laughs> right? To you can yes. dig in deeper if you want to. My issue, and so to be clear, like my issue is not even so much with it's not even like the show itself bringing the dark saber in. It's more, and again, this is all like residual just anxiety from the past few years of the yeah. quote unquote discourse is like the ways yeah. in which other fans latch on Use so strongly yeah. to to those kinds of things and to them like that is what's Im- all that's important are like the objects and like the totems of of and like knowing them and their history and like the legacy and the dynasty and like the gatekeeping that happens around that like I'm just so wary of that now that when I see the dark saber show up here it, it's like it where like some years ago I would have been like oh that's kind of fun like they're bringing <laughs> yeah. they're pulling in this thing from elsewhere now I'm yeah. like worried because yeah. I've seen how other people That's think about right. things like that, that I, I go in and I get, I tense up and I'm like, oh fuck, is this going to be like, like the thing that divide, like the, oh, the true Star Wars fans know what the Darksaber right. is and its significance. Like, I'm just so tired of that shit that I almost, I have this like knee jerk reaction now when stories introduce opportunities for that kind of, you know, acting around around a story and what makes it good or not good that it's it's not even about the story itself and that's not fair to the mandalorian like my reaction but it is based in things that i've seen happen a lot over the past few years it's why they hated last jedi so much because it was so much about yeah burning exactly da- burning down all that it, stuff exactly literally exactly. And, and and figuratively yes yeah there's one tiny thing i wanted to point out just in relation to um way women are represented and like it's not it's not a thing worth noting except in the context of a show that just doesn't particularly value women um when mando and um oh my goodness what's his name uh that they're in in episode eight they're they're being they're stuck in that area Grief Karga, the Carl Carl Weathers character, or yeah. so they they go out to fight the stormtroopers, and Kara just stays back and and provides cover. And it's one of those things where I'm like, well, wouldn't she be more capable? Like she's yeah. she's younger and she's very well. Like she the the whole show has taught us that she's like very capable and very strong and very together. And it's just another way that I'm like, oh, they like are removing the woman from the action. Um, in this particular scene. And again, it's so minor that most of the time I wouldn't bring this kind of thing up, but I think it's worth mentioning in terms of like how repeated this happens, like how repeatedly this happens. And I think that Cara Dune's character is really appealing and yeah. really interesting. And I think that Gina Carano, um, you know, she's not the best actor, like, but she's right. so appealing. Yeah. Like, she's yeah. A very, very magnetic. Winning. Yeah. She's super yeah. winning. And I think that she's going to get better, right? Like she's an MMA fighter. She used to compete. She got into acting, you know, she's, she's learning. And I think that like, 
they they I don't know how she got the role, but like giving her this chance, I think that they did. I think that they did good, like by allowing her to be in this role. Um, and so you know maybe there was some of that that they were trying to like not give her too much or, you know, I'm reading, I'm being too generous here and reading too much into it for sure. Um, but you know, yeah, just another example of how yeah. I'm like, Oh, the show, which again, I don't like when I think of the show as a whole, I'm not like, Oh, that was garbage. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it, I was very engaged with it. Like I was actually traveling and I like went out of my way and used a VPN and like watched episodes while I was on the road. Cause I kind of wanted to see what was next. Um, like I clearly gave a shit and was engaged, even though I have so many <laughs> criticisms about it. So there's something magnetic about it. And I, I like, I also am like, Oh cool. What's going to be next? You know, like what's going to be season two. So, you know, there is there's a way in which the show. This is just another random thought. There's a way in which the show is is operated as simply a machine in which, um, Baby Yoda was put into peril, and we we react to that. You know what I mean? It's just like every single episode. It's like protect Baby Yoda. Why are you not doing? Ev- why Why did you just do that thing that put Baby Yoda into peril? Please stop hitting Baby Yoda. Why are you hitting Baby Yoda? <laughs> you jerk! I hate you now. Um. And um, which which on the one hand, like my nervous system doesn't like, but on the other hand, from a story point of view, I was it, like, it just really got me, uh, you know, yeah, I, feeling that about Baby Yoda every week. And there's something interesting about Baby Yoda in the sense that Baby Yoda is not helpless, right? Baby Yoda, like we know yeah. that Baby Yoda harbors tremendous power. Incredible and, power. And we do see that on occasion. And like, apparently Baby Yoda occasionally like mis- misuses his power. Like there's and a point which- force it, choke Kara. Yeah, it almost force chokes Kara. <laughs> and the man is like, no, 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 she's a friend. She's a friend. Like, well, this yeah. is just a, a game we're playing or whatever. Um, So, you know, I mean, Baby Yoda is interesting in that way of being like, yes, uh, obviously, we're concerned about his well-being uh, and and everything, and we want him to be protected. And yet, we're also kind of wondering, like, well, what is Baby Yoda capable of? And like, yeah. what you know, what is Baby Yoda gonna do next well, with this young, power? That a, what does Moff Gideon want with Baby Yoda? Yeah, and what is yeah? yeah. And also, like, there is so much, like, uh, what you were talking about, Jonathan, with the, like, he's a young something in training, mm-hmm. you know, yes. like, whether it's a Mandalorian or a Jedi or, a Jedi. or whatever, yeah, like, or, or, you know, all of the above kind of thing. I will, what's interesting is they don't gender Yoda except for, like, once or twice. The whole show, or baby Yoda, sorry, yeah. I should be clear about that, yeah, yeah. not really Yoda, Um they, I remember distinctly Mando calling him he like once, yeah. but every other time was very general. Like it was the, mm-hmm. child, the child or the, the baby, asset the, the kid. or the baby. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I suspect that that's not necessarily intentional and that Yo- baby Yoda is going to end up being male with the way that the show is going. But oh, yeah, um, I-, I think at this point it would be, it would be a weird swerve because I mean, it would be so delightful, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would but be. it wouldn't oh, make. Yeah, I mean, but sure. it's. But I mean, they must know because they have to. They. I mean, do they have to change Baby Yoda's diapers? I mean, they must know. I was just like, wondering that. Like what gen? <laughs> like I mean, and if, if if anatomy, you know, whatever. Assuming that that's all. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah. It's, you know, this has become Yoda a very loaded conversation. Choose, like what? Baby about, Yoda can choose. 
their own gender. Exactly. They're old enough, okay? That's well, sure. <laughs> so that's another, entire, yes. Another yes. really exciting thing about, about the end of the show is that, and this is another lore thing that I didn't know ahead of time, and I looked it up, you know, as people were talking about it. You know, um, we don't know, we know nothing. We know nothing about baby, we know nothing about Yoda's species, their planet, where they come right. from, anything right. about them. So, and we're, we're, we're sort of tantalizingly at the end there given given a a clue that like in in the future of this show potentially you know Mando is tasked with bringing baby Yoda back to its people so that is a thing that might happen where we might we might finally after years of sort of George Lucas you know jealously guarding the secret um get, <laughs> get 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 some clarity about like and so and so i'm not even sure that we know i mean i know that you you spoke last week um last time with jessica about i think it's yodel and yodel yodel was the other one from the prequels um mm. is like the female yoda but but i mean i wonder if i wonder if all of that i i wonder if even like the gender stuff they might even change Possibly, like uh, you know, maybe yeah. then, maybe it's going to be something totally different that we're not even aware and of. There, there, there are seventeen genders, right? Of, right, or, you know, right, of that species, or or something. Yeah, it, cool. It's pretty. It is. It is pretty. It's pretty exciting, though. I don't know. Yeah, I, I yes, as someone who didn't know any of the lore, I was like, how much do we know about the Yoda people? <laughs> Nothing. Like, and and so apparently we don't know anything. So yeah. now I feel totally caught up. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, you're 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 right with everyone else. Wonderful. All right, y'all. We will be right back with our weekly freakouts. Hey, FFR listeners. Did you know that if you join our Patreon community, you can get nifty perks like early access, exclusive weekly bonus segments, access to our friendly Discord, and more? That's right, you can get cool stuff and help us keep doing FFR at the same time. What are you waiting for? Go to patreon.com slash femfreak. Now it's time to talk about what's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past week. Jonathan, you want to get us going? Yes, TikTok. TikTok is doing all four of those things to me right now. <laughs> um, so TikTok is an app on your phone. Um, is it an app? What's an app? An app. <laughs> Imagine that. It is a. It is a. Um, you know, new and it's not super new, but it's 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 new in the sense of like there aren't a whole lot of new social networks, right? Um, because we have a few of them, and anytime a new social network tries to exist, Facebook either copies it out of existence or, you know, otherwise finds a way to crush it. Um, but TikTok came from China, and and in 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 that way is sort of like more untouchable by like Facebook can't buy it in the way that they would, and it's not easily replicable what they're doing. So. Um, TikTok, if you haven't seen it, it's a bit like Vine. So if you remember Vine from back in the day, was owned by Twitter, um, in that it's like short form videos. Vine, I think, was six seconds you could do. TikTok uh, is up to 60. And the real sort of like, the uh, to me at least, the real kind of deep innovation here is I think like TikTok used to be called Musical.ly, musical.ly. And the music aspect to what TikTok does is, I think, the most important feature. 
every single TikTok has, um, if it even if it doesn't have music, uh, the audio from every TikTok can be used and remixed into the into someone else's TikTok. So at the bottom of the screen, there's a little thing that either says the song that is playing, and and side note, um, it is an app from China, and like. I think it's like legally it's very gray like how they're using all these songs like like actual people's songs on TikTok like I'm certainly not getting paid or anything for any of the plays that happen on TikTok. So let's put that aside for now. On <laughs> on on every single TikTok there's a little thing at the bottom that says either the song is playing or it just says like original audio by the user who posted the the video and you can click on that audio and you can use that for your own video. So people go viral just because the audio from their thing is funny or something and people take it and they do their own things with it. And that's like this really interesting, that's never existed before this kind of like very fast remixable audio video thing. It's really like, it's wild. Um, and I don't really know what else to say about it. It's definitely worth if you haven't like if you've heard about it and you have like just download it and start watching. It's, it's a very um uh it's one of those things like when Snapchat came out and you're like, oh my god, I'm old, I don't know how to yes. use this. TikTok is very similar in that like it's like a meme factory. Like shit goes viral on that so so quickly. So but also it's hard quickly. to find what like you're like, where are the things? What do they mean? And like, if you leave, if you stop looking at TikTok for like a couple of weeks, you're just you're like, out of the loop. Like you don't understand yeah. what's happening anymore. And my experience with TikTok is uh, I've only seen it a handful of times because I have one particular friend yeah. that lives in another continent. And when we're together, we get high and I watch him scroll through it. Okay. And it's just, it's so, fa <laughs> it's so fascinating. Yeah. And I'm like, what does that mean? Where are you finding these? How, yeah. what's, what's your feed? Did you yeah. subscribe to these people? I yeah. don't understand. It's very <laughs> it's not different. any of that. It's very so different. different. So they have a thing called the for you page and it's, so this is what they call it. They call it the for you page. It's not a page. There's nothing a page about it. It's just, <laughs> it's just, you're just scrolling. It's just like, there's two, there you can toggle two things, who you're following or the for you page. And if you're, if you scroll through the for you quote unquote page, it's just, you're just seeing things that TikTok thinks that you're going to like based on like what other people are liking and what other people are watching. And when you first log into it, it can actually be very off-putting. And it certainly is, was for me because the things that, that it thinks that you're going to like just off the bat, like that everyone likes, are, you know, the lowest common denominator. It's like like pranks and, you know, scantily clad women doing dances and like all this kind of stuff. And you kind of just have to like tell it that you don't – someone taught me how to do this because because Baby Yoda went viral, I wanted to like understand it. So my friend who also went viral on there a while ago was like, no, 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 you have to go through and you tell it that you don't like all that stuff and you just like – you can downvote it or say that you don't like it or whatever. And eventually you start teaching it what you like. And then on your for you, quote unquote, page, it like, it'll just start showing you stuff that you like. And it's, and it's, I don't know, there's a lot of like, you know, I've curated it now to where like pretty much everything I see are just like teens, like leftist teens making memes about like lefty kind of stuff, <laughs> which is like super fun. And like, other adults on the platform who are like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm an adult on TikTok. And like, um, <laughs> and, and, and like, uh, so you, you do have to sort of like, it's weird. And, 
I've tried. I've been posting on it and and sort of trying to figure out how it works and stuff um, by by doing that. And it's it's just it's a very different. It's a very very different kind of platform. And I guess the most exciting thing to me about it is that it is a new social network, and I don't think that it can be can be you know ruined uh, or bought in the way that Instagram was or the way that Snapchat that Instagram's copied Snapchat and everything like. That's probably not going to happen to TikTok anytime soon. Although it probably has its own other set of issues being a Chinese, being a Chinese company, company as well, that, right? That's so, very true. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Um, Carolyn, what are you freaking out about? I am freaking out about the film Little Women. Um, so did you see it? I did. I went to see oh, it last night. And I it is, see it. In, in my view, it is a magnificent film. Oh, like, just absolutely like brimming with life and energy and beauty and like and uh and, and real ideas like you know i mean uh the characters it really engages with even though you know the characters exist in somewhat of a position of privilege relative to their time and it acknowledges that like it also acknowledges the ways in which women's opportunities to live their own lives and to make their own money in the world and all these things are so 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 limited um but you know, I mean, but it's not—it's not just like all. What part of what's wonderful about it is that all of its sort of ethical concerns and its you know concerns about these larger issues—they don't feel like they're kind of grafted on in some way uh, as like artificial you know uh, lessons or whatever. Like it, it all, at least to me as a viewer, felt very much uh, organic. You know, rooted in the, their their lives and their experiences and and their struggles. Um, so it's kind of fascinating and and regrettable to wake up this morning to the Oscar <laughs> nominations where yeah. uh, Little Women is nominated for Best Picture and Saoirse Ronan is nominated for Best uh, Actress and uh, Florence Pugh uh, for Best Supporting Actress and so on. But, like, this is a... The filmmaking in this film is masterful. Like yeah. this is a this is a film where you feel the director's stamp. The director is Greta Gerwig, and I mean everything about this film is distinctive. You know, it, you have uh, so much. You know, so many scenes of like overlapping dialogue and and so many things happening where you know a room just feels bustling and alive with energy. For instance, in a way that is so unusual in in contemporary you know mainstream filmmaking, and mm. that's you know that's. Greta Gerwig's like vision and her filmmaking and the lighting in this film is beautifully naturalistic. I mean, it just looks gorgeous to behold, and all these things that really set it apart and set um, as a film. Um, you know, it's infuriating to wake up today and oh, if Todd Phillips is nominated for fucking Joker <laughs> for best director, but Greta Gerwig is not. And you know, there's a really yeah. interesting little exchange in Little Women that kind of. I mean, you know, in some ways kind of cuts to the heart of a lot of what we do here. It, yeah. So obviously the main character, uh, uh, played by Saoirse Ronan, it, is a writer. You know, she um, or she dreams of being a, a professional writer. And, um, you know, she's writing a story about kind of her, an autobiographical story, right? About her and her sisters and things like that, of course. And and she's like, oh, but, you know, it's not very important. Like, our our lives, our little dealings, our lives are not very important. And one of her sisters says, well, but, you know, by writing about it, you make it more important. Mm. And and Joe, the Saoirse Ronan character, is like, no, no, no. No, writing reflects importance. It doesn't c- confer it or bestow it. And and the other sister's like, no, no. Like, you, like when the story is told, 
Like, it makes that matter more. And it's just this interesting moment, you know, this kind of interesting acknowledgement of how the stories we tell matter and representation matters and all of that in this sort of philosophical little moment that happens in the film. And anyway, um, on oh, Timothy Chalamet, just, uh, you know, so good in this as, as in just about everything I've seen him in. And anyway... Truly, like I walked out of this film just feeling so alive and um, and just so good. It's 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 really a, a really a wonderful film, in my opinion. Nice. I cannot wait to see it. Me neither. Um, <laughs> um, all right. I am freaking out about a book called The Shining Girls by Lauren Bucus. Um, so Lauren is a friend of mine who lives in South Africa and. Like, I've been there twice, and every year I go there, she gives me another one of her books. <laughs> so <laughs> I basically read wow. a book of hers a year at this point. Um, I was familiar with her work before we met. I had read her book, Moxie Land. Um, and then last year I read Zoo City, which I don't remember if I talked about in this podcast, which is very good. And so this year I read The Shining Girls. Now, Lauren is pro- like a prolific creative writer, and um, I, I can't really categorize her writing because some of it is like dystopian future. Some of it is thriller. She's written for animation and 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 comics and, and games as well as being a novelist. Um, so The Shining Girls is about it takes place in Chicago and there is a guy who um, finds a key to a house that opens to other times and he is a serial killer. So he goes and murders women across time um, and becomes obsessed with with these women. And he they're called the Shining Girls because he wants to to he only kills women that have the shine that like he sees the shining. Um, Yeah, it's really intense. Um, And because Lauren's work is rooted in, in feminism, it's not just like. You know this hor- like because yeah. it is partly from his perspective, but you um you you see you really get into all of these women like you see from their perspectives and their lives and their experiences and the crux of the story is that one of his victims actually survives and so she is determined to hunt him down and figure out who her her murderer is oh, wow. and so you you see you see kind of both of these perspectives as well as the perspectives of people um, in the orbit of these characters as well. And it's quite, uh, it's very intense (laughs) Um, and, and gruesome, um, but also pretty, pretty smart, um, especially dealing with a a book around, you know, extreme violence against women. So yeah, that is my freak out this week. We also have a guest freak out by Alex Pereira. Hey, Feminist Frequency. This is Alex Pereira from Brazil. I am freaking out about the two books by Angela Saini. They are called Inferior and Superior. Those books are not fiction, unfortunately. They talk about how women have been victims of prejudice in medicine and biology. That is the Inferior book. And in Superior Saini tackles racism in science. It's a great read, and as a biologist myself, I think we must try as hard as we can to avoid our biases to influence our work. Freak out. Awesome. Thank you so much for contributing that. If you want to submit your own freak out, you can do that at feministfrequency.com slash freak out. That's F-R-E-Q-O-U-T. 
Thank you so much for listening to Founders Frequency Radio. Stay tuned for the freaking after party, which is only available to backers of this podcast. You can learn more at patreon.com slash femfreak. Jonathan, thank you so, so much for being a guest. Would you stay on and, and hang out for our bonus? Yeah, let's, let's freaking, freaking freak out. Let's freak out. Let's party freak or freaking party. <laughs> freaking whatever. party. <laughs> freaking party. Um, where can folks find you if they want to find your songs or learn more about what you've been up to? Yeah, you, I'm on Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter. I'm at Song A Day Man. And you can uh, find my new podcast, actually, at podcast.com. Podcast.com. Uh, no, that's that's wrong. <laughs> po- <laughs> podcast. I was like, damn, how did you get podcast.com? That's you're impressive. You're doing good. No. podcast.jonathanman.net is where that's at. Awesome. What is it about? I'm doing a podcast where um, it's called As It Happens, and it's a it's a it's sort of real time songwriting. So you hear me write a song from the beginning to end, and it's like it's it's mostly about kind of the messy process of creation. It's sort of like you know. There's a little bit of nitty gritty like songwriting stuff in there, but it's mostly about like me being interrupted while I'm writing a song and like failing and messing <laughs> up. And, you know, and it's just like I want to, I, it's sort of like my ongoing quest to sort of uncover the sort of mystery of like, you know, cr- creating things is not a straight line. It's a, it's a, it's a weavy, windy, every which way thing. And that's sort of what the podcast is in under 20 minutes or less every week. Amazing. That actually sounds really cool. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when we we talked about your Baby Yoda video without you, um, and that you wrote a song in my house once, and watching you do that was fascinating. So oh, cool. this podcast- Oh, I, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I was just like watching that process um, <laughs> was, I was just like, holy shit, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite incredible. And I think it's very different than a lot of other- um, a lot of other creative ventures. So uh, I have not listened to it yet, but I'm going to listen to your podcast because it sounds great. All right. You can find us everywhere. Great podcasts are found. And if you haven't yet, go to iTunes and subscribe, rate and review us. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and all the social medias at FemFreak. Although I think our YouTube channel is actually Feminist Frequency written full, but whatever. It's easier to just say FemFreak. You can figure it out. This show is engineered by Rob Para. Carrie Stimson provides technical support, artwork by Jamie Varon, and our intro music is by Phil Circus. Join us next week for another feminist dive into pop culture. Bye. Later. See ya.